Welcome to Transformed by Grace, an in-depth Bible study of God's Word, presented by the Berean Bible Society. Join us each time on this station as Pastor Kevin brings the transforming message of God's grace revealed through the Holy Scriptures. a test conducted by a university where 10 students were placed in a room. Three lines were of varying length were drawn on a chalkboard. The students were told to raise their hands when the instructor pointed to the longest line. But nine of the 10 students had been instructed beforehand to raise their hands when the instructor pointed to the second longest line. One student was the stooge. The usual reaction when the instructor pointed to the longest line was for the stooge to put his hand up, look around, and realize that he was all alone, and to pull it back down. That happens 75% of the time with students from grade school through high school. It's difficult to stand alone, even when you know something is right and something is wrong. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego knew what was right, and with courage and faith they stood for what was right, literally standing, refusing to bow down to Nebuchadnezzar's image of gold when everyone else went down. They did so because it was against the clear teaching of the Word of God. And these three men stood boldly, knowing the price of their disobedience was the fiery furnace. And this should cause us to ask ourselves, how could anybody put faith and principles so high that they would stand there when a mass of 300,000 people went down, that they would stand there resolute in their convictions, ready to walk right into a burning, fiery furnace? That's character. That's functioning by faith and internal principles. You know, they could have said to themselves, you know, an idol is fake, and it's nothing anyway. We'll just kneel down with everybody else just this once. One time won't hurt anything. And we'll still worship the living God with the rest of our lives. They could have reasoned, everybody's doing it. If we're going to reach people, we've got to be a part of them. They could have thought, The fiery furnace is fatal. If we're dead, we're not going to be useful to God anymore here. And he has put us in such a strategic place in the Babylonian government that if we get burned up, it's going to mess up the whole plan. We all can be pretty good at rationalizing things. There were lots of rationalizations that these three young men could have made in this case, but they did not do that at all. Instead, they were uncompromising, and they took a firm stand for God. And learning about their inspiring stand can inspire us to do the same thing. Daniel chapter 3, verses 19 to 23 read, Then was Nebuchadnezzar full of fury, and the form of his visage was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Therefore he spake and commanded that they should heat the furnace one seven times more than it was wont to be heated. And he commanded the most mighty men that were in his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, 
and to cast them into the burning fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their coats, their hosen, and their hats, and their other garments, and were cast into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. Therefore, because the king's commandment was urgent and the furnace exceeding hot, the flame of the fire slew those men that took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down, bound into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's names were given to them by the Babylonians after these three men were carried away captive from Judah to Babylon. Their Hebrew names, according to Daniel 1.11, were Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. When you see E-L or A-H in names of people in your Bible, such as Daniel and Elijah, it, it immediately tells you that Elohim or Jehovah is in the meaning of their name. So when you see Hananiah, it, that name means Jehovah is gracious. And Hananiah's name was changed to Shadrach, meaning inspired by Rack. Rack meaning the sun. Mishael, his name means who is like God. It was changed to Meshach, meaning belonging to Shaq, which is literally Venus, not Shaquille O'Neal, the basketball player. Azariah, that name means Jehovah is my help. And that his name was changed to Abednego, meaning servant of Nego, or the fire god. Their names were all changed from the Hebrew concerning the one true and living God to the false gods of Babylon. This was an attempt by the Babylonians to brainwash and assimilate them into their culture and belief system. But while these men's their names changed, They could not and they did not change these men's character or their beliefs about the true and the living God. Brainwashing into the world's belief system still often takes place. It is continually attempted by the culture we live in. And it reminds each of us of the need to be vigilant and that we need to stay close to the truth and close to the safety of the Word of God. It's interesting that we know that these three men by their Babylonian names, isn't it? But yet we learn so clearly that their names did not reflect the beliefs of their heart. And they held true to the God of Israel, to Jehovah, to the faithful God, the only true God. After they refused to bow down and worship the image of Nebuchadnezzar and then refused even when given a second chance when they stood before King Nebuchadnezzar, It says that the king was full of fury. These three young men confounded and angered the king so greatly that verse 19 says that the form of his visage was changed. In other words, you could see it on his face. He wrinkled his face in his rage and he turned red in his fury. Nebuchadnezzar's anger was visible and it was hot. As a result, he ordered that the furnace be stoked to throw in the coal, intensify the heat, and make it seven times hotter than it usually was. And Nebuchadnezzar wanted that furnace as hot as possible. He lost control of himself here in his rage. Because when you think about it, if he really wanted to torture them, he should have turned down the heat. 
to prolong it. The, to heat it up seven times hotter just meant less trauma, less pain, and a quicker death. As a lesson to others in his kingdom who might rebel against his authority, Nebuchadnezzar ordered his some of the mightiest and bravest soldiers in his army to bind these men and escort these three men to their immediate execution in the burning, fiery furnace. The furnace was likely a big pot-bellied thing that had an opening down below where the fire was stoked and fed, and at the top there was a large open hole. It's estimated that a furnace like this could reach a temperature of 1,800 degrees Fahrenheit. And this furnace was likely and probably used to melt the gold ore and bricks for Nebuchadnezzar's large golden image, which was probably why it was burning and hot at that time. In verse 21, we see that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were dressed to kill. They looked good. We learn how they were wearing outer coats, tunics, stockings, and turbans. They were dressed in nice clothes befitting the high positions that they had in the Babylonian government. But the reason for the mention of their clothes is to show that they were taken away so quickly that no change of the clothes that they had on was made. As the mighty men draw Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego close to cast them in at the top of the furnace, the overheated furnace was so deadly it ended up slaying the men of valor by the heat, burning them to death. This reinforces the fact that the survival of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego was supernatural and all of God. After these three mighty men were slain, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego then fell down, bound into the furnace. And we learned then who the true mighty men were, these three men of faith. We'll be returning to the program in just a minute. But first, we'd like to take this time to thank you, our partners, for making these programs possible. If you would like to access our library of helpful Bible study tools, go to BereanBibleSociety.org. Revelation, Volume 2, is a hardcover, 228-page commentary written by Pastor Paul M. Sadler and covers Revelation 7-1 through 13-18. In this volume, we enter into an analysis of the midpart of the tribulation, called the Great Tribulation. The author's research left him with a heavy heart for those who will be left behind after the rapture of the church. May we all have more of a burden for the lost to bring them to Christ before it is too late. There are also numerous practical applications throughout the writing to help you live a more productive life for Christ. To order your copy, contact the Berean Bible Society for pricing and availability at 262-255-4750. To receive our free full-color 32-page monthly magazine, The Berean Searchlight, call 262-255-4750. Or subscribe online at www.BereanBibleSociety.org. Thank you again for your generous gifts. And now, back to the teaching with Pastor Kevin. Daniel three twenty-four to 27 read, Then Nebuchadnezzar the king was astonished, and rose up in haste, and spake, and said unto his counselors, Did not we cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? And they answered and said unto the king, True, O king. 
He answered and said, Lo, I see four men loose, walking in the midst of the fire, and they have no hurt, and the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the mouth of the burning fiery furnace, and spake and said, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, ye servants of the Most High God, come forth and come hither. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came forth of the midst of the fire. And the princes, governors, and captains, and the king's counselors being gathered together saw these men, upon whose bodies the fire had no power, nor was an hair of their head singed, neither were their coats changed, nor the smell of fire had passed on them. Nebuchadnezzar accompanied the party to the furnace to observe the execution. He, of course, was seated at a comfortable and safe distance away. The king was able to see into the furnace from the ground-level side opening at the bottom of the furnace where the fire was stoked and fed. Nebuchadnezzar came to satisfy his anger in seeing the deaths of these three young men who had defied him. Instead, what happened was Psalm 76, verse 10. Surely the wrath of man shall praise thee. The remainder of wrath shalt thou restrain. Nebuchadnezzar was shaken in his anger when this started, but then he was really shaken by what he saw next in the fiery furnace. He observed the mighty man being slain by the intense heat of the furnace. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego falling into the furnace bound. And then he couldn't believe what he saw next. And he even asked for confirmation of what he was seeing because it was so incredible. He couldn't believe his eyes. He asked his counselors if three were cast bound into the fire. The old joke says there are three kinds of people in the world. First, those who can count. Second, those who can't. Nebuchadnezzar was one who could count. There were four in the furnace now instead of three. His advisors agree with him, saying, true, O king, as good advisors of a king would do, so they wouldn't get in trouble. His advisors affirm that there were three cast in. In his astonishment, though, he states that he sees not three men, but four. Then he says that they're not bound. They're loose. They're not lying down. They're walking around. They're not burning up. They're completely unhurt. And the fourth man, he says, didn't have a normal human form, but had a form like the Son of God. Now, Nebuchadnezzar would have never known that it was the Son of God. But rather by this designation, he was just recognizing that one looked supernatural. One had a glorious appearance. He later calls the fourth person an angel in verse 28. But the ironic thing is, he was right. He was right. He was the Son of God. It was an appearance of Christ before he came and took on flesh, or in theological terms, a pre-incarnate Christophany. The last thing Nebuchadnezzar notices is that the four in the furnace weren't looking for an exit. They were just patiently waiting and enjoying each other's company. And there's a principle for us in this, which teaches us that no matter how hot the fire of the trial we go through. Christ is always with us. And 
the fellowship with Him in those times is powerful and draws us close and closer to Him than at any other time. God uses the fiery trials in our life to refine our faith in Him. The hymn writer put it so well, When through fiery trials thy pathway shall lie, my grace all-sufficient shall be thy supply. The flame shall not hurt thee, I only design thy dross to consume and thy gold to refine. Next, Nebuchadnezzar came near as he dared to the piping hot furnace and called out the Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, acknowledging the greatness of their God who had delivered them. He calls them servants of the Most High God. And that's a high title for the believer. That's a high title for us to have and to live by, to be servants of the Most High. Nebuchadnezzar then asked them to come out. And so they did. But just the three of them did. The king actually had to call them to come out. And it's been rightly said, they proved that they would rather be in the fire with the Lord than in the palace with the king. Verse 27, we learn that there had been a crowd that gathered a crowd of rulers and counselors observing all of this with Nebuchadnezzar. And they, with the king, observed and noted that there was not a mark on them. They weren't burnt after they came out. There was not a hair on their head singed. And not even the smell of smoke was on those fancy, highly flammable clothes that they were wearing. Now, you can't go to a bowling alley without having the smell of smoke on your clothes. These three went into a burning, fiery furnace, and they didn't smell like smoke at all. These three, they didn't bend, they didn't bow, and they didn't burn. The account has important prophetic significance. It foreshadows events in the future seven-year tribulation. You see that in the type of the furnace being stoked seven times hotter than usual. Malachi 4, verse 1, says of the tribulation period, period, Behold, the day cometh that shall burn as an oven. And that future day of Jacob's trouble, as Scripture calls it, we find that like these three faithful Hebrew men, the faithful remnant in Israel who do not bow the knee in worship to the Antichrist or to his image which he sets up, in the temple in Jerusalem. They will be preserved by God in the midst of the fiery furnace of those seven years. And they will be unhurt, and they will be comforted by Christ's presence with them through that fire. Isaiah 43, 1-2 prophesies of that day. But now, thus saith the Lord, that created thee, O Jacob, and he that formed thee, O Israel, fear not, For I have redeemed thee, I have called thee by thy name. Thou art mine. When thou walkest through the fire, thou shalt not be burned, neither shall the flame kindle upon thee. Daniel 3, 28-30 reads, Then Nebuchadnezzar spake and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, 
who hath sent his angel and delivered his servants that trusted in him and have changed the king's word and yielded their bodies that they might not serve nor worship any god except their own god. Therefore I make a decree and every people, nation, and language which speak anything amiss against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be cut in pieces, and their houses shall be made a dunghill, because there is no other God that can deliver after this sort. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. Understandably so, Nebuchadnezzar is stunned by the events. Stunned by their God who sent his messenger and delivered them. And he's stunned that these three men trust in their God, that they yielded their bodies and were willing to die in devotion to him. Yielding their bodies reminds us of a familiar passage, Romans 12.1. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Presenting and yielding our bodies as a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, is what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did. They're an illustration of that verse. Nebuchadnezzar lauds the three Hebrews for changing the king's word, he says. Their stand and their faith and God's deliverance in consequence to it had the effect of wholly changing Nebuchadnezzar's word, command, and purpose in destroying them. And he extols their devotion in being willing to suffer martyr them than, than to go against their convictions, and rather than serve or worship anyone except their own God. In essence, Nebuchadnezzar is saying, Blessed be the God who can get that kind of allegiance out of His people. And this account teaches us that we can get the world to sit up and take notice by taking an uncompromising stand of faith in God like this, so that even in their unbelief, the world will even have to say, Blessed be the God of those folks who can draw that kind of devotion out of His people. In verse 29, Nebuchadnezzar decrees that the God of these three young men should be held in honor, and any who dishonored or spoke disparagingly of their God would be cut in pieces, and their houses would be made a dung pile, refuse heap, or a sewage place. And if that decree was still in force, there would be a lot of stinky, leveled houses around us in life. And the king proceeds to promote these three again to an even higher position of greater power and honor in his kingdom. When you already rule and you get promoted, that's that's a real promotion. He says, there is no other God that can deliver after this sort, Nebuchadnezzar said. That statement reminds me of the cross. He has delivered us from all of our sins, delivered us from eternity in the lake of fire, There is no other that can deliver after this sort. And we offer him our praise and our thanksgiving for that. A young college freshman at Morehouse University in Atlanta, Georgia, walked into his first day of class and settled in for the instruction. The professor of philosophy passed out a syllabus and explained what would be expected of the students 
during the course of the semester. The young student grew more and more excited as he listened to all of the great thinkers they would be studying throughout the upcoming months. Suddenly, the professor changed tone, began to speak about one of the thinkers in a different manner. He said, when we come to the section we will cover on the subject of Jesus, you must know this. What you may have heard in Sunday school or at your church concerning Jesus is wrong. Jesus was just a great teacher. He was a wise man. He did many good things. He influenced many people during his day and even unto this day, but he was not the Son of God. There was a long pause as the freshman sat attentively, not daring to challenge the man with Ph.D. following his name, and the atmosphere was very uneasy. And then a hand pierced the silence in the back of the room. As one man, one young man lifted his hand to speak, the professor called on the young student, and he said, Yes, he is. The professor said, Now I know you've probably been told other things back home from your pastor or Sunday school teacher, but you need to know, young man, that Jesus was not the Son of God. He was merely a great thinker, class dismissed. As the students filed out of class, one of the young man's friends from back home chastised him on the way out of class. Alvin, what are you doing? This man's the professor, and you and I are just students. Don't ruin this class for the rest of us. Just be quiet and do your work. Alvin said, this, may, this man may know a lot about philosophy, but I can tell you already that he doesn't know anything about Christ. And I can't just sit back in class and let him try to convince everyone that Christ is something less than he really is, and I'm going to speak up. The next time the class met, the professor started in on his tirade all over again. He pointed out that the Bible was written by biased folks who believed in Jesus, that the virgin birth was impossible, and Jesus could not have risen from the, from the grave. And he said, Jesus is just a great teacher. He is not God. And Alvin's hand immediately shot up into the air once again. The professor tried to ignore him as he went on with his anti-Jesus sermon, but Alvin persisted and kept his hand up. Finally, the professor realized that he would not go away, so he called on Alvin. The professor said in a demeaning way, Yes, Mr. Jackson, do you have another sermon for us this morning? And Alvin said simply, Yes, he is. The professor turned his attack from Jesus to Alvin. But Alvin continued throughout the entire semester to stand up for his Lord. Some years later, Alvin Jackson, pastor of Mississippi Boulevard Church, Christian Church in Memphis, Tennessee, was speaking at his church. At the conclusion of Alvin's sermon, some of the people came up to speak to him and thank him for his message. When the crowd had dispersed, there was one man who stood before Alvin, and he was startled to find that it was his old college professor. The man walked up to Alvin, hugged him, looked him in the eyes, and said, Yes, he is. We can make a great difference for Christ when we take a stand for him. Thank you again for tuning in to Transformed by Grace. We appreciate your prayer support and the financial gifts. 
The purpose and mission of the Berean Bible Society is to help you understand the whole counsel of the Word of God. For more information, visit our website at www.bereanbiblesociety.org or give us a call at 262-255-4750. Or if you prefer, write us at the Berean Bible Society, P.O. Box 756, Germantown, Wisconsin, 53022. Now until next time, may you be transformed by God's grace.